It says, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Amen. This is God's word. And uh, let's go ahead and pray together and we will begin our message today. Heavenly Father, we're thankful as we open up the word today, as we look at the truth that you are the good shepherd. I pray that we will become more devoted and committed followers of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I pray as we uh, consider the truth today that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their savior, that they will recognize that the shepherd is indeed good and that there are uh, hirelings and thieves out there that would seek to steal the truth of your word from their hearts. And Lord, I pray that we'll know the difference between your voice and those voices that are not true. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I heard a fable some time ago about two flocks of sheep that lived directly adjacent one to another, only separated by a fence. The one flock of sheep was particularly healthy and robust and were cared for very meticulously by their shepherd. The other flock was exactly the opposite. It was filled with weak and sickly sheep. And they were neglected by a careless shepherd. On one occasion, one of the weak sheep made its way over by the fence and separated the two flocks and fell over in exhaustion right beside the fence. And many of the other sheep on the other side of the fence began to pass by and make fun of the sickly sheep and how he couldn't stand up on his own two feet or four feet, I guess, and, and how, he, uh, how he was struggling. And they began to mock him. And, and uh, finally, the biggest, most strong sheep walked up to the sickly sheep and just began to stare at him. He didn't laugh. He didn't make fun of the sheep. He just looked at him. And finally, the weak and struggling sheep looked up and said, go ahead. Go ahead and mock me just like the others. The older, wiser, stronger sheep looked at the younger, weakly sheep and said, I will not make fun of you. For if it were not for my shepherd, I would be just like you. Well, I don't know about you, but that's exactly where I find myself today. Amen. The only good and blessed thing about me is that I have a really good shepherd that takes care of me. And that shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, has a way of loving and caring for his sheep. I know in my life, on Mother's Day is always a special time for me. In fact, 25 years ago today, 25 years ago, I came back to church at the request of my mother to be saved two weeks later. And I'm so thankful every year to remember a mom that prayed for me and cared about me and invited me to church and ultimately led to my salvation. But now for 25 years, I've been following the good shepherd. And I can tell you that he is in fact good indeed. And that the only thing that would separate somebody's life from falling apart and not going in the right direction is that we have a good shepherd. 
The Bible describes people, humans, as needy and vulnerable. Thankfully, it also describes our Lord Jesus as a good and great and glorious shepherd who's always meeting the needs of his sheep. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 79, verse 13 says, so we are your people and the sheep of your pasture, and therefore we will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 100 and verse 3, know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 40 has a great promise about uh, a Christ and us when it says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. And he shall gently lead those who are with young. Now, John 10 is a story that Christ shares as an analogy with the Pharisees to emphasize the fact that he is, in fact, the good shepherd. And as we read down through this chapter, there are at least three truths that stand out to us from this text that teach us how we know that our shepherd is, in fact, the good shepherd. Let me give them to you this morning. Number one, I believe we can see from our passage that the good shepherd genuinely cares for his sheep. A good shepherd genuinely cares for his sheep. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now remember, John 10, as I mentioned earlier, is a continuation of a conversation that is taking place in John chapter number 9. I thank Stephen last week for preaching a fantastic message on the blind man and the conversation that ensued after that. The Pharisees that did not even see their own blindness, they didn't even understand that that they were the ones that were religious, but they were lost. Well, I'd sure hate to think that there may be somebody that slipped into church today that has never entered into a relationship with Christ. Religion is not your answer. Church is not your answer. Jesus Christ is your answer. And now Christ is going to continue this conversation with these lost people that don't even know they're lost. And now he's going to actually make matters even worse for them because not only are they lost... But they also are labeled in John chapter 10 as false teachers who are trying to rob and fleece sheep rather than caring for sheep. In fact, back in John 9 verse 22, as was mentioned last week, Jesus, or excuse me, when Jesus healed the blind man, his parents feared for what the Jews would do to him. In John 9 22 it says, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Isn't that terrible to find religious leaders Spiritual leaders that people were actually afraid of because they were self-serving, threatening, and manipulative. John 9, 34 goes on. They answered and said to him, this is what the leaders said to this blind man. Uh, you were completely born in sins and are teaching us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, do you believe that I am the son of God? Folks, there's a contrast of spiritual leaders right there. Spiritual leaders that are there for themselves, spiritual leaders that are there to fleece the flock, so to speak, will throw the sheep out because the sheep don't really matter to those kinds of false shepherds. And here Christ says, watch this, I love this, when the religious world cast this man out, Jesus was there to welcome him into the fold. And i got to tell you, these Pharisees were a vivid contrast to who Jesus was. They were dishonest. They had no relationship with the sheep. Verse 13 tells us they didn't care for the sheep. 
Verse 22 tells us that the sheep didn't care for them or didn't trust them. They were stealing rather than providing. They were killing and destroying rather than protecting. In fact, uh, in the Old Testament, these people were warned about and against multiple times. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil doings. Then again, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not shepherds feed flocks? Now we've seen in the Bible that there is the danger of wolves in sheep's clothing. But can I say to you something that's more dangerous than a wolf in sheep's clothing is a thief in shepherd's clothing. You ask a false teacher, a false spiritual leader, do you like sheep? And they'll say, sure. I like sheep grilled and barbecued. I also enjoy wool sweaters. Folks, listen. You want to be careful and beware of spiritual leaders and teachers who are trying to get something out of the sheep rather than spending their lives trying to feed the sheep. I I remember early on in my ministry, God really uh, confirmed in my heart the challenge that sometimes pastors face when they look at teaching and preaching and building a church, so to speak. And and i got to admit to you that there were earlier days in my ministry where I think my biggest goal in life was to build a church. And I've gotten to the point in my life where I realized that my job is not to build the church. My job is to let Christ build his church. My job actually is not to build a church. My job is to build people. And we don't have a church that is built by people. We have a church that actually builds people. And that is a difference that every church should have. Otherwise, shepherds can become very self-centered. They can listen to their own uh, identities, listen to their own sneaking intentions. They can value works over faith. And here's what Christ is saying. Christ is saying while there are a lot of shepherds out there that have their own agenda, I am offering you something completely different. I am offering you truth. I am offering you someone that you can trust. Why? Verse 3 says he offers a personal relationship to the sheep. Verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep uh, hear his voice and he calls, watch this, his own sheep by name. Isn't that great? Isn't it great to know that You don't have to have religion. You can actually have a relationship with Christ. There's a gigantic difference. One is a personal relationship with a a shepherd that knows each sheep by name. Not just a generic flock, not just a big production, but actually someone that knows and cares and, and has a personal relationship with you. Let me ask you this morning. Would you say that you have a personal relationship with God? I know in this individualistic society we live in, everybody wants to say my relationship with God is personal. What they mean by that is not that it's actually personal. What they mean by that is it's none of your business. I got to tell you, friend, if your relationship with God is real, it is personal in the sense that it's personal between you and him, but it's going to be public in the sense that if you have a relationship with God, people are going to know that you have a relationship with God. 
And I want to tell you this morning, what a joy to know that a relationship with God is not reduced to a system of rules and, 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 uh, and, and, and traditions that are bound up in one particular church or congregation. I'm glad to tell you today that your relationship with God is and should be and only can be personal. Something between you and God. Do you have that today? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Uh, secondly, he tells him that I provide him protective leadership. At the end of verse number 3, it says that he calls out sheep by name and leads them out. When the shepherd is not with the sheep, they are vulnerable. But the shepherd with the sheep, they are protected. Remember David in the story of Goliath when he talks about his credentials to fight Goliath? He says, I was a shepherd for my dad. I was out there in the field and there was one occasion where a lion came and I destroyed the lion on the sheep's behalf. Then there was another time when the bears came, a bear came, and I, I literally took out a bear with my own two hands. I don't know if you've ever wanted to see that story like played out in real life. Maybe in heaven we will, I don't know. But the truth of the matter is David was an absolute animal, okay? And David took out a bear and he took out a lion. But it wasn't just because David was a junkie for thrills. It's because David was a junkie for sheep. And because he was a good shepherd, he took out any threat against sheep that made them vulnerable. You may find yourself in a church where maybe occasionally a pastor or a leader or somebody that cares about you may actually say something to you that may sound confrontational. Like, hey, you should watch out for that or you should be careful for that or where were you or what's going on? And while you may be defensive and thinking that that person's out to get me, it may very well be that you have somebody in your life that actually cares about you, is actually protecting you and is actually trying to do his or her best to demonstrate to you that there are things out there to be avoided. There are warnings to be heeded. There are doctrines to not follow. There are thieves to not listen. And then he's going to pronounce to them that in, in contrast, verse number 10, to those that would steal, kill, and destroy. Look what he says in verse 10. I have come that you might have life and you may have it more abundantly. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you glad to know that Christ just doesn't give you life eternal, but he also gives you a life here that is a preferred existence, a way to live your life, a way to handle your problems, a way to have your relationships, a way to handle your finances, a way to solve conflicts, a way to handle problems. The Christian way is the best way. My grandpa used to say this all the time before he died, and I, used to, I mean, he said it to me multiple times. He said, Brian, listen to this. He said, I would be a Christian even if there were no such place as heaven. Meaning the life that God gave him, the family God gave him, the joy that God gave him, the service that God gave him. You know, it's sad to say sometimes we witness the people today, I think it's one of our problems. It seems like all we ever talk about is you're going to get saved and go to heaven. And unfortunately, many Christians live their life on earth as if the only thing that actually matters is going to heaven one day. Folks, going to heaven is a byproduct of salvation. It's not the end game of salvation. It is certainly part of it. It's going to be a great part of it, and I'm certainly looking forward to it. I'm sure you are too. But folks, there's far more to it than just going to heaven one day when you die. There is a life to be lived here, a good life, a life that is a life blessed and protected and led by God, a much better life here with Christ than here without him. 
So number one, you see the good shepherd genuinely cares for his sheep. Number two, beginning in verse number 11, he's going to teach us the good shepherd gave his life for his sheep. It says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now he's going to explain how he made that happen. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gave his life for his sheep. And what he's getting ready to describe for us is this. That because the good shepherd laid his life down for the sheep, that is how we enjoy both eternal life and abundant life. And look at what Christ says here in verse number 12. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not come, does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees them, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even I know the Father, and watch this, I lay my life down for the sheep. I want to point out to you a couple things about this sacrifice that Christ made for our behalf in order to give us eternal life. Notice, first of all, it was a willing sacrifice. There's twice in this chapter that he says, I gave my life for the sheep. Please look. Do not view what happened to Jesus on the cross as he was a victim of bad circumstances, as that he was somehow a victim of a corrupted Roman government. He even, he even looked at Pilate when he was on trial and said, you don't have any authority over me. You don't have any governing power to do this to me. I mean, after all, I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. And let me ask you a question. How is the king of kings and lord of lords going to die? How is the, the God of the universe going to, going to be executed on a cross? You want to know the answer is? Nobody took his life from him. He willingly laid his life down. That's a good shepherd right there. He willingly Gave his life for you. Boy, how much must he love you to do that? What must he think about you to be willing to lay himself down freely, joyfully, Hebrews 12, 2, so that you can have eternal life? Not only was this a willing substitution, this was a uh, not only is this a willing sacrifice, this was secondly a substitutionary sacrifice. Notice, again, he laid his life down, notice the next phrase, for the sheep. This was a substitution. His life for yours. His sacrifice, your healing. Isaiah 53, verse 5, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, of course, Jesus willingly laid his life down. But in addition to that, he substitutionarily laid his life down. He put his life down. Watch this in place of yours. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. First Peter talks about how that his death was our death and his life is our life. Folks, there was an exchange that took place on the cross that you cannot miss or you will never understand how good the shepherd is. I'm saying that when Jesus died on the cross, that was your death to die. 
When Jesus took those nails, that was your nails to take. When Jesus Christ went to that tomb and died and was buried, that was your death and burial to absorb. But thank God that God treated Jesus like you deserve to be treated. So that God could then in turn treat us like Jesus deserved to be treated. The great substitution. Your life, his life, for yours. I read the story recently of Frank Harrigan. Some of you, or Horrigan, excuse me, you may remember this story. Some of you old timers specifically. But Horrigan was a secret service agent that protected the lives of United States presidents for more than three decades. He was uh, one of the young agents assigned to President John F. Kennedy's detail the day he was assassinated in 1963 in the city of Dallas. When the assassin fired his weapon, Horrigan says later, I was frozen in shock. For 30 years after that, he wrestled with the question, would I really be willing to take a bullet for the President of the United States? There was later a movie put out about when Ronald Reagan was had an attempt at assassination on his life. In the climax of that movie, Horrigan does what he had been unable to do earlier in the Kennedy assassination. He is the Secret Service agent that threw himself between the assassin, would-be assassin, and President Ronald Reagan and took the bullet in his own body. Listen to this. This is the essence of what being a Secret Service agent is all about. A Secret Service agent is willing to do such a thing, watch this, because they believe that the president's life is so valuable that he would be willing to die for the president. Obviously, a secret servant agent is not going to take a bullet just for anybody. He sees this life as valuable. Listen, when we talk about what happened on the cross, roles were reversed. The president of the universe actually stepped in our path and took a bullet for us. And at the cross, you will see just how valuable people are to God because he was willing to lay his life down for ours. Amen to that. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And then we see finally, the good shepherd eternally secures his sheep. And folks, I want to teach you, this is one of the most plain texts in all the Bible that teaches us about a doctrine that we would call eternal security. What that simply means is this. Those whom Christ saves are saved forever. I was, I was in West Virginia not too long ago. I went on a fishing trip and, and a preaching trip. And I put those in order because that's about the way it was for me. Um, I, 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 I genuinely was excited about fishing and, and I also got to preach. And that was also awesome. But it was awesome. And I, I, my mom had, uh, had, had arranged for uh, some of my friends to come to hear me preach. And it was, it was just a, a, cool, like a, a really cool moment. The sad thing was um, there was a lot of uh, a snow that weekend. And so a lot of the services basically got wiped out. And all the friends, there were like 20 of my high school friends that would come. Most of them were unsaved. And they were planning to come. But we were trying to finagle an alternative service that maybe I could preach at. And my mom had a friend that went to this little church in the city I grew up in. And, and so, so her friend reached out to this pastor and basically said, hey, this, you know, Brian's in town and, and, and he's, he's, you know, he's got a free opportunity to preach in this service. And we just, so the guy called me. 
And I don't know this guy. I've never, never met him. I don't, I, I've still this day never met him. The, the service ultimately got snowed out. But he called me and he, he really started asking me some questions, which to his defense is, is, uh, is obviously credible. I mean, I wouldn't just let anybody that I don't know preach here. And uh, he, the first question he asked, do you believe that in eternal security? And, I, and of course, I'm on the other end going, is this a, what is this? Is this a trick question? And uh, I said, well, of course I believe in eternal security. That's exactly what the Bible says. And then he responded to me and said, well, that's probably going to be a problem here because 90% of the people that go to this church, including me, don't believe in eternal security. And I, you know, ultimately, obviously, it didn't work out. But I thought to myself, how sad. Let me tell you, let me tell you a sad place to be in your life. If you think that it was God's job to save you, but it's your job to keep you. You are not saved by what you do, and you are not kept by what you do. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author, come on, and the finisher of your faith. John MacArthur said if you could lose your salvation, you would. Thank God that it's not up to you to keep it, it's up to the one that gave it to keep it. And aren't you glad that the one that gave it can keep it because he's the all-powerful God of the universe. In verses 27 through 30, he gives us five statements here that we should hang on to that would encourage us. Hey, come on, that even on your worst day, you're never going to slip through the grip of Almighty God. Come on, there's nothing I can do to save myself. There's nothing I can do to keep myself. I'm not saying I should go out and want to live like the devil. I'm just simply saying to you that my salvation is not up to me and I'm not dependent upon me in any way, shape, or form to be saved. Number one, he says God will protect his sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall, listen to this, they shall never perish. Watch this, neither shall any one snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He talks about my hand. He talks about the Father's hand. I want you to get this picture here, okay? The, the picture is this. When you get saved, you are in Christ. You are placed inside the hand of Christ, which is inside the hand of Almighty God. And then that hand is wrapped with duct tape by all these promises of God in this chapter. What's the point? Nobody is going to steal your salvation from God the Father and God the Son. And, and even if the devil could somehow break through pry himself into the hand of God and then get inside of Christ to steal your salvation, he'd be a saved devil and wouldn't want to do it anymore, amen? You cannot lose your salvation. Why? Because God will protect his sheep. Number two, he says plainly that they have, watch this quote, eternal life. To speak of eternal life ending is a contradiction in terms. 
Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit whereby you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you realize in Ephesians 1 and 4, we have the promise that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The seal in the Bible was a mark of ownership. Think in terms of, a, uh, of an old letter being written and sealed with a wax uh, uh, stopper and then a, 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 a king or a authority sealing that wax down with his ring. That seal right there, which shows where the letter came from, was in the Bible terms a mark of ownership. And the mark of ownership, come on, the mark of ownership in our lives is the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us. And the Bible says that mark of ownership is going to be with us all the way until our mark of ownership is redeemed in eternity, and that is eternal life offered to us by Christ. Here's the bottom line, friend. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit entered into your life, and there is absolutely no way that you are ever going to go to hell because the Holy Spirit took up permanent residence in your life, and if you go to hell, that means the Holy Spirit's got to go to hell with you, and that is not happening. Number three, Christ gave eternal life. It's a gift. You didn't do anything to earn it, as I said. You can't do anything to lose it. It's the gift given to you without price to you. Couldn't be earned, so it couldn't be lost. How about this in these verses? They will never perish. Just swim around in that one for a few minutes. This, you know what this is? It's a promise. A promise of God. If you are saved, you will never perish. Anybody else out there glad that you're not going to have to die and go to hell because of Jesus Christ? God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hey, perishing was where we were all going without Jesus Christ. But thank God, perishing is where nobody is going who knows Jesus Christ. It is a promise. And if you can count on any promise of God, you can count on that promise of God. Number three, and finally, no one is powerful enough to remove us from God's hand. And that's what the text I already read says. I think of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless the foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. You know sometimes I get I got five kids and I get confused all the time. Like I, I, I can't get their names straight. I just start saying B words. Blake, Brent, Braxton. I just start and then, then I, can't keep, I, can't, I can't keep I can't keep track of them half the time. I was out at the pool yesterday for about Two seconds, I thought I lost Braxton somewhere, and he was, he was right there, but I thought I lost him. This happens all the time. It's crazy. I just get, I, I'm just, I get confused. I don't know their names. I just start blurting out stuff. They know what I'm talking about. Can you think of how many millions and millions, perhaps billions of people right now in this world are Christians? Billions. And the Bible says, the Lord knows those who are his. He never has that same struggle I have. I don't know how many people's names start with B in this world or how many Brian's there are or how many Christian Brian's there are, but he knows exactly who he's talking about when he's talking. My favorite passage of scripture on eternal security is Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from God. 
You know, we protect things that are precious to us, don't we? Our most valued possessions are often in a safe or a safety deposit box. I installed a large safe recently into our closet, and there are some of my choicest toys in there. And uh, I'm sorry, if you're an anti-hunting, anti-fishing person, you're probably going to have a hard time with me, so... But there's, there's passports in there, there's jewelry in there, there's keepsakes in there. I spent a lot of money on this safe just to make sure that those certain things would not be lost and protected. We have security systems on our house, we have ring doorbells so that we don't ever have to answer our door again. Somebody say amen right there. It's the greatest thing in the whole universe. Oh, no, no. We have locks on our doors, alarms on our cars. Passwords on our emails, passwords on our websites. If you're me, I'm the guy that has the same password for every email, every, every bank account, everything. And there's only a couple people in the world that know it, and I'll shoot them if it ever goes bad. Aaron. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I'm not. You know, it's crazy when you set those, those accounts up. I hate, don't you hate it when you're setting up a security account? like a, a password, and they, and they tell you what your password has to include. It's going to have one capital letter, one lowercase letter, three special characters, and five commas. And you're like, you know what, will you quit telling me how to protect my account? And, of course, I know I do it all wrong. And, and, when I, and I use Apple products, so when I, when I, when I log on to a new, uh, new website, Apple gives you the suggestions. You ever seen those? It's an Apple suggestion, and it's got like 25 letters and dashes and numbers, some random code they came up with. And I say do not use every time because there's no way in the world I'm ever going to remember that. And then I actually have an app on my phone. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. And, and it's an app. To help remind me and protect all the passwords that are there to protect all the apps and all the emails and all the stuff I've got. I mean, good night. We are protected. And then there's the way we do our kids. Are you kidding me? You know, some of you folks that raised kids back in like the 60s and 50s and 70s or whatever, you probably look at us like we're crazy. You know. You talk about the, the, these, the, you know, these child safety seats that look like race car, Indy car driver locks and securities and and then you got, then you got, who ever heard of hand sanitizer? Look, when I grew up as a kid in West Virginia in the early 1980s, we didn't know anything about hand sanitizer. We didn't even know anything about much going to the doctor. We rubbed dirt in every problem, okay? Now we got, now we got hand sanitizer and we got, and, and all these extra things for all these babies and all this stuff that's going on. It's like, good night. They're not porcelain dolls, okay? They're humans. But we're very protective. Very protective. Friend, I want you to think about this. You think you're protective of your children? You think how much more God loves you. How much more protective he is over you. There is no chance he's ever letting you go. Because he's a good shepherd. Let's pray together if we can.